What if someone told you that you could learn the secret to happiness or success? Maybe you have an interest in mental health or the unknown, or even the desire to communicate with the dead. These are the real stories and encounters from the real people on Behind the Story with Chuck Talk. And here's your host, Chuck Talk. Hey, hey, listeners, thanks for joining me today. Today's podcast is another one of these serious podcasts. However, my guest, Juanita Rasmus Campbell, makes it so it is easy to understand, enjoyable to understand, but at the same time, she makes it very clear how to recognize depression and really what we can do to try to overcome this. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with her. And also, I want to say thank you again for always coming back and listening and supporting this channel. Because without you, this just would not grow. So please share, like, and comment. So let's get into it right after this brief announcement. Then we're golden. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm glad you said golden. That's one of my phrases, living my life like it's golden. Love it, love it, love it. So, well, we've gotten the pleasantries out of the way. (laughs) Indeed. My friends say Juanita. Okay. And I have had one good friend that used to be a neighbor named Juanita, and she is a very kind-hearted soul, so... Good, good. So you've got a good experience with Juanita. So hopefully I will continue that for you. <laughs> I can already feel that you are. I can feel it. All right, good, good. So Juanita, we're here to really talk about your book, but in the, the larger picture of things is about depression. So Absolutely. Uh, and your, your book, and I, I see we've got it, uh, your banner right there next to you. And the book title is Learning to Be, Finding Your Center After the Bottom Falls Out. And that was released right. about a year and a half ago, was it? That's right. That's right. It came out during COVID when many people's bottoms were falling out, right? Yes, yes. So uh, were you truly depressed? How, how did this book, why did it come out? How did it come out? Well, let me tell you, um, at the time, my husband and I uh, have, had been married, I guess, about um, 10 or so years. Our kids were both in, no, no, take it back, a little longer than that, because our kids were in middle school. Here's the thing. The depression came about because I had been living with some paradigms, some belief systems that no longer served me. One of those beliefs was that I had to work really hard. I had to strive. And as the young people say, I had to grind uh, to make something happen, right? We were pastors and still are after 30 years of a congregation where we started with only nine members. And so here I am, this mom raising two little kids who are in middle school, and I am bringing all of my uh, beliefs that no longer serve me uh, to bear. And so it was very much like a an addict, a crack addict, being in a crack house, right? Mm. Here you are with all that it takes for you 
to simply burn your life out. And that's basically what I did. I was overcommitting. I didn't have healthy boundaries. I didn't know how to say no. And one of the things that happens is when you put a person who's a people pleaser, who's a uh, needs other people's acceptance and approval, and you put them in a, a, a space like a church, and then they work for God, right? And then you find yourself literally not uh, being able to care for yourself in ways that would be life-giving. But I didn't know at the time, right? I'm simply being a good little girl who's grown up, right? And who is believing that she's got to work hard so that she can justify being a woman as a pastor. She's got to work hard to prove that she's worthy of the title and the role. She's got to uh, meet the needs of all the people around her. And believe me, the needs were plenty, and so the bottom line is I just wasn't caring for myself. And you know what's interesting, though, about depression, and even though it, some still look at it as a taboo type of word, they don't want to say depression. They don't want to call themselves depressed. Exactly. Depression sure. comes in all forms, shapes, and sizes and can hit you at any point in time. Absolutely. And so it's so Absolutely. hard. I, I think it's difficult for people to really realize that they're depressed. Not only are they exactly. denying it in denial, but they just don't know, is this depression or is this because I'm just sad today? So exactly. Uh, what are the answers? How do we? How well, do we here's one of, one of the tools that we suggest to take a notice. Notice what you're noticing about your life. OK, are you still engaging in things that you used to find fascinating, exciting, enriching? Right. If you find yourself cutting off from those things, Take a note. Number two, notice your sleep patterns. Have they changed in any way? Are you sleeping more than you would normally sleep under traditional conditions, right? Or are you sleeping less than you would normally sleep? Notice any sleep interruptions. Notice if your eating habits have changed. Uh, are you feeling more ravenous as though you can't be satisfied by a meal? Or do you feel like you're, you, you can go days without eating? Any changes in just basic ways of being is an indication that you might want to check in with your physician, right? In my case, I was sleeping 18 to 20 hours a day, Chuck. Ooh. I couldn't get out of bed. I got to a point after about two weeks, my husband said, baby, something's wrong. I think you need to see a doctor. And so, of course, I did. She ran all kinds of blood tests trying to figure out what was happening, that I was just literally lethargic. And finally, she said, after all the blood work came back, saying that I was fine, quote, fine, I think you might need to see a psychiatrist. And so I did, because I could not imagine living life in that catatonic kind of state. And so I saw a psychiatrist. She suggested that based on the DSM-IV, which is the Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Health Interpretations, that I was experiencing a major depressive episode. Now, if anybody had said, well, Juanita, you're depressed, first of all, Prior to the two weeks of sleeping 18 to 24 hour, 20 hours a day, I wouldn't have thought I was depressed because I was functioning. I was getting, I was meeting my deadlines at work. I was doing two Bible studies a week. I was preaching every other Sunday and I was doing all the things that were, quote, accepted and expected of me. But one particular morning when I got up to prepare breakfast for my family, as I did all the time, Chuck, after a few minutes and I kissed them goodbye, my husband took the kids to school. I literally got in bed and could not get out. Well, you know, the one thing that you said about 
you, you had all the blood work done and everything. And they said, yes. no, Juanita, you're normal. There's nothing wrong there. That is exactly. the other part that is so difficult. It, it, it's it's not one of those tests that you could um, draw blood and draw a conclusion that's that you're right. depressed. And that's right. You really do need so to. So the reality is you have to seek help. Yes. You know, as difficult as it was. Now, let me tell you something, Chuck. I was so debilitated that I couldn't even explain to or didn't have the words at the time to say to my husband that when I try to drive, I have panic attacks. All right. So not only was I experiencing the depression, but I was experiencing hyped anxiety. And so when I finally figured out how to express this, I said to my husband, when the phone rings, when I'm at home, I feel like I'm going to die, literally die. And so he said, baby, that let's let's call your psychiatrist and see what might be going on. And so then that's when she said, OK, so now you're experiencing panic attacks. So I was taking medication for the depression, medication for the panic attacks. But I was also seeing a spiritual director. Why? Because I know after 30 years of being a pastor that. There is nothing that happens to us that doesn't affect the three dimensions of who we are as human beings. We are mind, body, and spirit. And so we have to look at each of those aspects to say, how can I support the mind part of me? How can I support the body part of me? One of the things I did is I began to drink more water because I found out I was dehydrated. I also found out I had a vitamin D deficiency, which many people who are depressed have a vitamin D deficiency, right? And so one of the recommendations, believe it or not, was something as simple as get outside every day, get a little sun, right? Yeah. Began to change my meal plans so that I ate a little more healthily because prior to that, because our our ministry was so busy. Remember, we started with nine people. By that time, we had thirty five hundred members. And so it had grown so rapidly in seven years. We didn't recognize the toll that it was taking on us. We didn't recognize how we were putting our quote life on the back burner because of all the imperatives, importance, the got to's, the have to's, the got to do's. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when I began the journey of noticing what I was noticing. You see, my recovery was really inviting me to pay attention to the life I had been living up until that point. I was going to ask you about having a spouse or having someone else perhaps pointed out to you because we're living in our own bodies and we can't see from the outside in. And we I think that's oftentimes right. we don't recognize what that depression is because like I said oh I'm just tired so I'm just sleeping a little bit more or sure. whatever but we're functioning for the most part so it's so difficult to tell and then again like you said it can be as simple as recognizing it accepting it and then drinking more water or getting outside a little bit more for the vitamin D you know exactly uh, now what what made you or what was the turnaround point that you decided you know what I need to let the world know and I need to help. And so I'm going to write a book. So how did that well, come about? Thanks for asking. <laughs> All right. Here, here's the thing with that. I'm a lifelong student. I'm a lifelong learner. Right. And there was a point where the still small voice to, to me that said to me, and, and I call that still small voice, God, you can call it cosmic awareness, whatever you want to call it. But the still small voice said to me, if you'll let me, I'll help you build a life you can live with. And for me, 
that meant, okay, take notes, we're in school, right? And so I began to journal as I was able to. Now, this took a while because this whole process really happened over a three-year period of time. And so there was six months of being in bed. There was a lot of time towards recovery. But what I recognized is that when I could, I would write down little things that I was learning. As an example, all of us are going to experience at some point in our life disruption, some kind of disorientation, some kind of disease or diagnosis, a divorce, a dream that blows up, something that pulls the rug from under our feet, right? And so for me, it was a mental health diagnosis. And at that point, I realized that I needed to pay attention to how do I get out of the darkness and back into the light of a life I really loved living. And so in taking the notes, I had this sense that I would probably write about this or, or talk about it in some way. And I'm really glad I did because unfortunately, depression and mental health period are still so taboo in many of our communities and particularly in black, brown and yellow communities where we prefer to not pay attention to the fact that Uncle John is always acting weird around a certain time of the year or doesn't respond or can't be found or all these kinds of things where we basically kind of ignore the fact that there's been mental health challenges in our family. For me, my own recovery meant that I chose to do a health geneogram, a family tree, where I wrote down all of my relatives and I tried to recall who might have experienced depression. Well, both my grandmothers had experienced, my maternal and paternal grandmothers had lived with depression undiagnosed most of my life. My father was diagnosed with depression. My sister was diagnosed with depression. And so there is that genetic family tie that can be present. And so for me, as a pastor, I felt I had to talk to people about one of the taboo conversations that we don't often find ourselves talking about. I wanted people to know that you can be a di you can get a diagnosis, but you don't have to become the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that you just said, as far as uh, you. You did a genealogy type of thing. I, I always yes. felt that doing the, the DNA test for the genealogy was an important thing because there are some of the questions that in there as far as, you know, what are these different traits? What are you experiencing? Then you could go down the line, the lineage of the family and, you know, third cousins or whatever it might be. Exactly. And say, oh, they, it, it, it is something that run, runs in the family. But like I said, you don't have to become it if you are aware That's right. of it. So That's right. That's right. And so what I realized, Chuck, is that I had, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what diagnosis a person gets. It could be diagnosis, divorce. Okay. One where you feel like, hey, who am I now? What am I supposed to do now? What I recognize is that this very dark place in my life was actually an invitation. It was an invitation to, to, to live beyond the diagnosis 
the the diagnosis was just saying, hey, there's some things that need to be adjusted. There's some things, uh, some ways of being that aren't working for you anymore. Caffeine cannot fix you anymore. You know, drinking coffee to try to stay awake and all those kinds of things that weren't life-giving. White flour, white sugar, the things in my diet that were chemically supporting the depression, right? It was like the depression was going, give me more of that, right? And so I began to realize I had an opportunity and the opportunity was to make changes that would enable me to live through the diagnosis. Did you find that writing the book was therapeutic for you in a way? It was. It was because it helped me. Now, I got to tell you, Chuck, I wrote this book three times. <laughs> the first time I wrote it, I wrote it during my recovery. And afterwards, there were some things that I had said in it that were just so personal in terms of my own vacillating between uh, feeling better. As a matter of fact, I talk about it in the book, about relapsing. Times when I would begin to feel better and I'm taking my meds and then all of a sudden you think, well, I feel so good, I don't need to take my medicine anymore. Wrong. Mm -hmm. So you relapse and you pay the price for that, right? And so I began to just, <coughs> excuse me, um, decided that the second time I wanted to write the book that I felt like I didn't have the capacity to write it on my own so I hired someone pardon me but my voice wasn't coming through <coughs> excuse me so when I said <coughs> pardon me so what I did was a dear friend of mine who was an um, editor for 10 years has been saying for me to write the book. So I did, I wrote it. You know, there's the one thing as far as uh, we're talking about writing and, and you were writing your book. I, I, I think that for those who are going through a depression or feel as if they are, may be depressed, writing in itself, writing down your feelings, your emotions, or just writing, can be therapeutic as you said that it was somewhat therapeutic for you to write this book uh, and it's not to say that you have to write a book it's not to say that you have to write a memoir or anything but if you write down what you are experiencing and feeling i feel as though you can you can refer back to it as your own personal manual or your guide what was i feeling at that time and what what made what were the triggers triggers maybe it's just I, because I have found that writing things down for me helps in a lot of areas in life. It helps me guide myself. It helps me put myself on a path, if you want to call it that. But also it, it can help with recognizing your own self as to what is happening. Boy, that was long winded. Sorry. <laughs> hey, no, you said everything I would have wanted to say. The bottom line is certainly journaling is one of the most cathartic tools that I use during that process. But not just journaling. Uh, one of the things I started to do was take yoga because yoga empowered me to do the deep breathing practices that help to calm the autonomic nervous system. So it helped with the panic attacks, the yogic breathing, where you're breathing in through the nose and bringing the breath down into the abdomen, which is really where our central nervous system lives and resides. So the yoga was helping me to calm down, 
and not feel overwhelmed by the anxiety, really, or overwhelmed by the diagnosis for that matter. But again, it was a process. It wasn't like I got diagnosed with depression and the next day I started yoga. It was a period of three years of discovering what will work, what supports my recovery, what doesn't. One of the things I realized also is that I had not processed my emotions well, that I had been a stuffer. Whenever I was anything but happy, I would stuff those feelings of sadness or loss or grief or anger. And what I came to realize is that emotions are called emotions so that we might emote them like a volcano. We erupt these things out. Now, that's not to say we hurt other people, but we make space for ourselves to feel what we're feeling, to identify what we're feeling, to give ourselves space to to experience whatever emotions we might be feeling and then address and take the next step we might need to take towards moving into the life that we really want to live. The other thing that I found critical about this journey, there are really two questions that I think all of us are being invited to ask, whether it's a diagnosis or divorce or a dream that blows up or, or whatever it is that's the disruption in our life, the disorientation. Question number one, who am I? Okay, so now that this divorce has gone down, now that you've gotten this diagnosis of this mental health or physical health disease, or now that your business has fallen apart, who are you now, right? And so one of the things that we're invited to do is to see who we are beyond our titles and our roles. I'm still excited about life. I'm still eager to learn. I'm still funny. I'm still a good friend. I'm still a a, a compassionate person. I'm still a person who loves to take adventure and who enjoys gardening, right? And so you begin to claim who you are. And to know that you are here because you are a part of the divine plan of life. And life can't show up any better than showing up as Chuck and as showing up as Mary and as John is and as Juanita, right? Then the second question is, what would I really love? What would I love? You see, one of the things that I found out is that I had allowed my work to consume my life in such a way that I wasn't doing things that I just totally enjoyed, that were just life-giving, fun things, right? Pleasurable things. You know, if you had asked me, when was the last time you took a vacation? I would have said, we haven't taken a vacation in seven years. If you'd asked me, when was the last time you hung out with girlfriends? I would have said, uh, I haven't hung out with girlfriends. And so one of the things that happens is you can find yourself little by little because of life's demands, putting your real life on the back burner and separating from all the things that really give you joy in the first place. So who am I and what would I absolutely love are the two questions we get to ask ourselves. You know, going with the second question of yours is, you know, when you have people ask you, what do you like to do? What do you love to do? And you oftentimes hear a lot of people say, I don't know. And exactly. the, the true matter of the fact is I think most of us really do know, but we don't bring it to the forefront because for one reason or another, we might, I might love playing with my dog. And you might think, well, that's not what they want to hear. But no, right. that is it. That's what you yourself 
love to do. So I think having that voice to say it out loud acknowledges it. And I think it, again, all this stuff helps. And um, before we lose sight of everything, I want to make sure folks know where to go to get your book, because everything that you're talking about right now is so important. And I think it is important to be able to read something on paper or just read something where somebody else has experienced it for you to say, ah, it's okay. Or, oh, that's what I am experiencing. And this is what they did. So where can folks go to to get your book? Well, thank you. One of the places they can go is to my website, JuanitaRasmus.com, J-U-A-N-I-T-A-R-A-S-M-U-S.com. But it's also sold wherever books are sold. So your local bookstore, your 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 big box store, um, they all have the book. Or you can ask them to order it. And you can even ask your librarian to order a copy of it for you as well. So it's readily available. And you can always go to... Uh, Amazon and, and those places, and you can purchase it there as well. Good. I Like I said, I just really wanted folks to know, because just having our conversation, listening to you is, as corny as it may sound, eye-opening, and it, it's making me become more aware of myself and really to question what it is that I like what it is, what is it that I love, and who am I? Just to, exactly. for me, whether I'm depressed or not depressed, just to keep in check, stay in check. Exactly. Matter of fact, I think that if we would routinely um, ask ourselves, set a date with yourself, all right? Um, maybe once a month that you take yourself for a lunch and you ask yourself, all right, based on everything you've gone through the last 30 days, who are you now? Who are you? And you might say, well, you know, one of the things that I recognize is that I'm a better listener now. I I recognize that that I'm less angry now. And so you're checking in with yourself, but then also check in with the things you love because the things we love to engage in, the people we love to be around and COVID and social justice uprising and so much world uh, distress that we've experienced over the past almost 36 months now um, has has uprooted us in many ways and disrupted our regular patterns of being And so that's why the book is called Learning to Be. It's learning to be our most expansive self, the self that's fully awake to life, the self that knows who she is, knows who he is beyond titles, beyond a role that we might play. How am I showing up in the world? Who am I when I when I step outside of my door? Who is the person I really want to be? And that's probably as important as anything. Who do you really want to be? You know, I was talking to an audience and I said to them, I'd like you to think about 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when you're a grandparent or a great uncle or a great aunt and your niece or nephew ask you, how did you live through COVID-19 and global uh, pandemics? And I'd like you to think about not what you did, but who you became Mm -hmm. and share that with them because the reality is life is about us being and who we are becoming. And I, my prayer for our world is that we're becoming more enlightened 
that we're becoming more loving, that we're becoming more peaceful. That starts on the inside. That starts with us individually, but it is contagious and it can affect the entire world. Can I be so brave as to say that your book is not just about the depression, but it's it, I put it in the category of self-help as well. Yes, absolutely. Many, many hosts have said that, that they felt like my book is really uh, a self-help book and that it's not not it's not even just about depression, because at the end of every chapter, what I try to do is offer a practice an exercise. So as an example, can I share one with you? Absolutely. In fact, you're that's perfect. Yes. Okay, so one of the practices that I invite people to engage in is called the examine. And the examine invites you at the end of the day, before you go to bed, sit in your favorite chair for just a few minutes and ask yourself, what gave me life today? And just kind of review your day from the time you woke up in the morning to the time you came home in the evening. Go over your day and you might say, well, you know, when I sat at my desk today and I was talking to Chuck, the sun was beaming through the window and it was a beautiful day outside. I'm so grateful for that, right? And then you go through your day and you see what other jewels, whatever, what other ways you felt fully alive and fully present. What gave you life? What made you feel good, right? Then you ask yourself, now what took life from me? What happened today that wasn't life-giving? What happened today that um, I felt like I didn't respond very well to or I wasn't my best self for? Golly, I snapped at the mailman because they dropped the mail all over the ground and I had to come pick it up, right? That wasn't a very good moment. But I release it. I acknowledge it and I let it go. And tomorrow... I'm going to make sure I'm a little kinder to the male person when they come by. Uh, maybe I'll give them a bottle of water or something because I just want to put some good love out there, some good energy out there, right? And so what the examine does, Chuck, is it invites us to notice what we are noticing about our lives, to notice what gave us life, to do more of the things that gave us life, to notice what drained us, what took life from us, and to make a change. Do more of what gives you life and less of the things that don't give you life. And when we're in that model, when we're making that kind of practice, we're learning to be our best selves. You know, I like that. Just just at the end of the day, yes. just your mental checklist. What, what was it that made it good? What could you do different? Um, what affected you? I, I never thought about that. I, I, like me, I'd like to add, I do something similar, but I do it at the start of the day because, okay. you know, a lot of folks like to, a, a smile makes you feel good. And I always thought, and I always say, and often have said, is the first person that you see in the morning is yourself, m most yeah. of the time, because Think about it. You go to the bathroom to wash your face, brush your teeth. You're looking at the mirror. So why not start the day off with a smile to yourself? Or it, it may sound silly, but make a face. And if you laugh because it's such a silly <laughs> face, you just started the day off just right with with a laugh and a smile. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm using your um, suggestions. 
and I'm going to combine it with mine, and it's going to be a perfect day. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And you know, when you mentioned the mirror, the mirror is really important. If you were to go into my bathroom and see my mirror right now, it's got affirmations on it. I am at one with the universe. I am safe. I am happy. I am healthy. I am terrific. I am present as a beam of light in the universe. And so my affirmations are there. So yes, like your smile, my affirmations remind me of who I am. I am a a beam of light in the universe, right? Yes. Uh, You know, you're, I know you know this, but the title of your book is so perfect. I mean, everything that you are speaking about, everything that is happening right now. Again, it's uh, learning to be and it's finding your center after the bottom falls out. And my bottom is different from your bottom, which is all of us have our our different fallout or when we've reached the bottom. So um, just keep in check. Yeah. Keep checking in. You know, I think there are three T's that are really helpful. The first T is this, tune in. So many of us are just living life, going through the motions. I think one of the gifts of COVID-19 is that many of us are saying, wait a minute, there's got to be more to life than this. You know, um, the, the, the movement, the the great resignation that we're hearing so much about in the news. It's people saying, this isn't working for me anymore. The way I've been doing my life doesn't isn't creating uh, an expansive experience of life. It's not a joyous life, right? And so what we're being invited to do is to tune in, tune in to what gives you life. Tune in to the places that aren't working for you anymore and find new ways of of, uh, massaging them to life, right? Mm -hmm. So that they do work for you. Um, Then the second T is this, turn up the volume. Turn up the volume of participation in your own life. I think so often we can be uh, lulled to sleep by the routine of our ordinary day and our ordinary life, right? Turn up the volume of participation. So as an example, one of the things I'm doing to turn up my volume is I'm starting to do more adventurous things with adventurous friends. So this weekend, my daughter is doing a mud race here in Houston to celebrate her 35th birthday. And so I'm going with her. I'm not going to mud race, but I'm going to cheer her all along the way, right? Turn in. Turn up the volume of participation. Uh, Allow your schedule. If you look at your schedule and every day looks the exact same way, then I want to say turn up the volume on participation. When was the last time you had a dance break? You know, one of the things I love to do is I set an alarm on my phone and it reminds me to do two things. Number one, drink some water. And number two, get up and dance. Move something, all right? Shake something up. Move around. Why? Because I want to turn up the volume in living this life, this one and only life that I get to live. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live it and then go, what, how was that? I want to live it and go, man, I have some beautiful memories, some great moments where I was awake to my life. And then the last T is transformational willing. Now this one, transformational willingness is simply, I do it this way. By If, if you act like you're cl- clapping your hands, then you pull them back and you say, I'm open and willing to receive and to give love. 
I'm open and willing to receive. Receive it first because you can't give what you don't have. Receive and to give love. So transformational willingness is my reminder to myself that every day, no matter what happens, I can decide that every event I can make a choice. Somebody hits my car, right? I can decide that I'm going to be angry about it and frustrated and I'm going to let it ruin my day. Or I can decide, hey, we're both safe. I'm grateful for that. Let's just exchange our information and, hey, have a great day, all right? So sorry this happened. But we can decide how we want to show up in the world, who we want to be. And so learning to be simply gives us some tools about how we show up in ways that are life-giving, ways that are satisfying, ways that create joy and contentment, ways that help us to have a meaningful impact in our own life on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, the three T's are perfect. It's, Thank you. I need to ask, did you come up with all this yourself? <laughs> no, the three T's came from my mentor. The rest of it came through the universe downloading. Okay. It's, this is so wonderful. Just listening to you and I'm going to jump to it and say that you would be a wonderful speaker in schools to be out there oh, to talk you. about this because starting with the younger folks, but it could be any age. We all need to hear someone say this because it, that's how you jumpstart or kickstart ourselves. Somebody else exactly. saying it and then recognizing it and saying, ah, okay. Yep. So I, I, I'm going to say, this is wonderful. Perfect. Thank you. It's, Thank you. Uh, everybody watching, listening, you need to go out and get a book. Uh, it's it's transformative. So I'm throwing that out there because just listening to you, and I know that folks who are watching and listening are probably feeling the exact same way. So, yeah, yeah. So Juanita, yes, you have succeeded of carrying that name Juanita over to being great. Oh, <laughs> yay, I'm so grateful. I'm glad the first Juanita made, paved the way for me. I think you've just made the new path, which is a great path. So. Oh, thank you, Chuck. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.